It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I'm excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Susan Roan. She's the mingling maven, leading international authority, and original expert of How to Work a Room, and author of the million-selling million selling book, How to Work a Room, The Ultimate Guide to Making Lasting Connections in Person and Online. So, Susan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Andy. I'm delighted to be here. Well, it's my pleasure to have you. So, take a second, introduce yourself, tell us sorry, how you... You know, at the arc of your career, how you got from where you started to becoming this, I said, worldwide famous author of this book, How to Work a Room, which is is a great book about how to do exactly that. Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm a former school teacher, and San Francisco back in the day laid off 1,200 teachers and sent those layoff notices. That included me and all my friends. Wait, 1,200 oh, teachers or one fell soup? What did they do? Close a bunch of schools? or No, what they did, they just kind of covered themselves because that Prop 13 money. Oh, right. And, and what they did is um, scared the living daylights out of a lot of people. But a lot of my friends would call, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then I would say, oh, you're so good at this. You could do this. And the third time one of my friends said, no, I don't think I could do this, um, I got a little testy and said, You've got two gifted sons. I bet you could do something. And then I thought to myself, perhaps that wasn't the most gentle way to do anything. So I designed a career change workshop for teachers, one of the originals on the West Coast. And after the third workshop, when we were on a nonprofit status, and you'll appreciate this because it mentions one of our mutual friends, um, my dear friend, who was a, a mentor to me, said, my dear girl, you have a hundred people on a waiting list. You have a business. Come with me mon- Monday night to hear this fabulous woman business owner, Patricia Fripp. And that was it. And that was it. And I learned a couple things. Listen to people you trust when they give you good advice and invite you places. I still have the notes. We did not become immediate friends. I was just someone in the audience. But over time, going to National Speakers Association, etc., I have learned so much from her. It's illuminating. So that would be one of my bits of advice to people. If someone that you trust that you know really cares about you gives you a piece of advice, do it. It is great advice. So... How did you come around then to write this book? So you, you have this book called How to Work a Room, The Ultimate Guide to Making Lasting Connections, which has been updated. Your 25th anniversary silver edition has just come out and you know, adding in-person and online to it. So how did you come about to write this book initially? Because it's a great self-guide. And I sort of imagine that maybe you're saying, writing to yourself, if I just do these things, it'll help me meet people. No, it happened in the reverse. Okay. Here's, here's what happened. I, I went to an, a business event, and one of the guys who was a political consultant watched me because the microphone was broken, and I was supposed to be the featured person. They were supposed to introduce me, and I go, well, if the microphone system is broken, I better introduce myself. And he came up to me, and he said, you know, Susan, 
if you ever want to run for office, I want to run your campaign. You know how to work a room, and most people don't. But when I was promoting my workshops, I went on a radio show, and the then business editor of the San Francisco Examiner heard the last 15 minutes, called me, and said, oh, I really like this. Do you think we can have a locally generated career column? Honestly, Andy, and I want... Our listeners who want to accelerate their careers and businesses, listen, I couldn't even have imagined what he said. The thought of it made me nauseous. And guess what I did? I said, of course we can. Mm-hmm. Then I think I had a nauseous headache and stomach ache for about a week. But sometimes what we have to do is say yes rather than, well, I've never done it. I don't think so. You know. Seeing those opportunities, could I have planned that he would listen to the last 15 minutes of the show that went on two hours? How would I have known? But when something happens and it's an opportunity, we need to really be open to it. Yeah, sometimes you have to run towards what scares you. That's, that's, um, but with, not with scissors. Yeah, not with scissors. <laughs> so, I, so it started writing columns. 700, 725 words, bringing in people who had something to say. So I was the outside coordinator. I wrote most of the columns. But I inv- if I heard a s- presentation on something that I thought that the business people in the San Francisco Bay Area could use, could benefit from, this former teacher thinks in terms of how people benefit, I would approach people and say, oh, could you write an article on that? Oh, could you write an article on this aspect of sales. I listened to someone who spoke about, this was many years ago, sexual harassment and the cost to the workplace. And I, everyone from the audience was leaving. I was running towards him saying, if you can't write a 700 word article on this topic, I'll help you. So, you know, it's thinking of who your audience is, what they might need. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted our readers to have something But what I did is when I wrote so many of those columns, I had the basis for not just one book, but I based my second book, Secrets of Savvy Networking, on those articles Mm -hmm. because I thought, what a great idea, plagiarize myself. (laughs) Yeah, that's good advice for people that are listening that are blogging and doing other things. Yeah, that's a, a great source of information as yourself. So. Let's talk about this concept of networking. So it's the art of meeting people in person in many respects. I'm sure you've got additional definition for it. But it's it seems like it's really different these days. And, you know, it's not all about social media. There's still this person-to-person aspect that's inescapable. Well, first of all, I think a lot of people on social media are trying to escape the person-to-person. Oh, sure. And they feel very connected. When I was writing face-to-face, how to reclaim the personal touch in a digital world, I had to really give it a lot of thought. And what I came up with is it's not an either-or, it's a both-and. And And my metaphor was it's like going to the restaurant and it's like, um, you know, steak and lobster night, you know, a little something from each. Mm -hmm. It is really important to have social media skills. But if we lose our face-to-face, 
we won't be just losing our business skill. We are going to be losing our connection to people, the people that matter. So for me, there are two different skills. You can be a great networker, follow up, give leads, uh, do what you say you're going to do, send the article. But you could still find walking into a room full of people where you have to socialize to be daunting. In fact, 90% of us who self-identify as shy find it daunting. Sure. And we all know someone, everyone listening knows someone, that they are fabulous in the room. You want to be around them. They're great storytellers. And they have zero follow-up. They don't even want to see you the next time. They just want to have a good time. They are lousy networkers. So the truth is working a room, mingling, socializing is one skill. Being able to network and do the follow-up work to build that relationship is a different skill. We need to have both. It's synergistic. Which is really where the social media comes in. It's the follow-up. And the social media is the follow-up. And I'm going to, this is going to sound so antiquated. I hope all our listeners won't faint. It also means picking up the phone and using it to talk to people. Yeah, that's that's interesting. You bring that up as thinking people sort of shy away from that. Because, you know, there's this real conundrum out there is that on one hand, I... There's sort of a myth, I think, around this that uh, millennials, you know, don't like to talk on the phone. And, yeah, there's some truth to that, obviously, because, you know, we look at calling rates with the phone companies and, you know, everybody's texting and so on. But on the other hand, at least in the sales world and certainly in, in Silicon Valley, where the popular sales model du jour is what they call sales development model, where you've got these teams of inside sales reps banging the phones, mm-hmm. and they're all millennials, and you talk to them, they're actually, they love it, right? I mean, it's hard work, but, but they love doing it. They're willingly getting on the phone and making these calls. So it's, it's like, huh, maybe we just, as you said, it's, or you're implying, it's, we just need to give them the, the framework and the structure and the context in which to understand that making the phone calls is important. Right. And it's, you know, you know that's the old uh, call center model. What, are they, what was the, uh, the play with um, the David Mamet wrote. I mean, you know, that that whole idea of being in the room with everyone making the phone calls. I don't know, I, I think uh, Wolf of Wall Street for a minute. Right. But even being able to, after you meet someone at an event, picking up the phone. Hey, or like having a Skype conversation. Mm-hmm. You do audio or video. Hey, let's reconnect. We don't want to lose that because if we do, we will lose our conversation and we will be more uncomfortable actually speaking to people the less we speak to people. In fact, you, and this is a name you're going to know, one of my heroes of how to work a room because of his research at the Stanford Shyness Clinic, which he co-founded, was Dr. Philip Zimbardo. Mm-hmm. And what he found back in the 80s is 80% of us self-identify as shy. By the late 80s, 1990s, it's almost over 90%. And someone interviewed him and said, well, what do you attribute this big jump in statistics? And he said one word, technology. So we want to embrace technology, but we want to be the people that can talk to other people. In fact, this is the basis of what do I say next? Research. And it was Dr. Zimbardo that um, told me about this. Um, There was research by a Harvard professor really like in the late 1990s, and he was predicting what was going to happen in the year 2000. And Dr. Nathan Kaifetz said, in the year 2000, everyone will be technically adept 
And I bet every single one of us listening is. He said, who will succeed will be the people who can talk to other people. No, oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, I, I, this is part of what I write about is, is that in sales, it's technology notwithstanding at the end of the day, or even at the beginning of the day, quite frankly, it's just <laughs> as you in the cliche, it's about a person talking to a person. You still have to have that connection, this whole no like trust factor that we talk about. That's not going to get established through purely digital means. I mean, maybe, maybe if the product is low price and the risk is low and so on, we see a lot of that buying going online. But, but in any sort of B2B space, semi-complex product or extremely complex product, that's a person. You can't escape it. No, and nor should you. Here's the other thing. Every single person in sales walks into meetings, conferences, trade shows. They, they walk into maybe a client is supporting a, a charity and there's a charity event. You're walking into rooms all the time full of people that you may not know. Some you may, but you may not know everyone. So what are we doing to make sure that we are extending ourselves, uh, building our base of business referrals, making contacts? And the most important thing is building relationships because you talk to anyone who's successful in any one of their endeavors and they'll say, it's a relationship business. It, and when people trust us, which they will when they get to know us over time, mm-hmm. that happens. But it starts with a small talk and it starts with conversation. Um, may I share with our audience what we discovered before we went live? Sure. Okay. I hope. Andy, Andy <laughs> said he knew where I live because here in the Bay Area, right. I just schooled Stanford. And I said, Stanford? I've been to a million Stanford football games because I'm Grandma Susan to one of the players. Andy follows football. We just had a whole football talk. Who would have thought? You know, it's like bring, and this is something I say in all my presentations, bring who you are to what you do. People connect with the who you are. Mm-hmm. Now, unless you were from one of our rival teams, <laughs> which could have been, <laughs> but it started a conversation. And I think people are afraid to bring their personal into space, into their professional. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, people connect with you. If you both have 90-year-old mothers, you're having a conversation. If you both have 10-year-old daughters in lacrosse, you're having a conversation. If you both grew up in the Midwest, you have a conversation. If you both played hockey, you're having a conversation. But you only find out these commonalities because of small talk, because of listening to people, asking questions, and being interested, and bringing something to that conversation instead of just a bunch of questions, which can be very um, annoying. Yeah, I mean, the whole, you see this increasingly emphasized about, you know, don't do the personal stuff. Just get down to business. And it's like, really? I mean, I, <laughs> that never worked for me. I mean, I, I certainly am one of these people that's I'd self-identify as being somewhat shy. And to me, this was, yeah, this was the great groundbreaker. This is the icebreaker. This is a way to, to engage the person and get them engaged with me before we sat down to talk to businesses. Yeah, what is that small talk? What is that one thing I could see on their desk or... You because know, I was doing a lot of my face-to-face selling before technology existed of the sort we have today, is what are the clues you could pick up? that, And you became very adept at finding these clues and drawing people into, a, into, as you said, the small talk, personal conversation that broke the ice 
start building a rapport, and then they became more open to what you were saying after that. Right, and if you and here's the magic. And now I have to tell you, after many years of being a t- teacher in the bad old days in Chicago and in San Francisco, where I said, "Pay attention." If I had a dollar for every time I said paid attention as um, a teacher, I'd be a filthy rich woman. <laughs> And if I had a dollar for every time the kids listened, I would also be filthy rich. No, I should say I'd be poor. <laughs> they didn't listen. But do you know what people find enchanting is that when someone pays attention when they're talking. And if you, as that person, when you meet per- someone, are interested in your face and your body language and questions and the stories you share, build on that you are building a relationship. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, I walked into that room and, oh, I I can spot a person in a minute. I can tell you in like four seconds. All those books about you have four seconds to make a good impression. And I bring up the Wolf of Wall Street again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There are a lot of conniving con men and women who make a great first impression. But the second and third... And you know you are dealing with not the people of caliber that you should. So sometimes the person that doesn't make a great impression because they're not wearing the right suit or the right tie or the have the right title on their name tag could very well be the most important person in the room. Why? You don't know who they're related to. Exactly. They live next door to. So... I know this is going to sound very extremely odd, but one of the best things we can do anytime we walk into a room is talk to every single person as if they're the most important person in the room. All right. Well, we're going to leave that as a cue for the second part of our conversation. We're going to take a short break. We'll come back. I want to talk about uh, one of the chapters from your book, which some practical takeaways for the listeners, uh, your seven strategies for the jumpstart to the smooth stop, which I thought was... A great, a great uh, encapsulation of some great technique to use. So we'll be right back with my guest, Susan Roan. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. All right, welcome back with my guest today, Susan Ruan, talking about how to work a room, building a network, and in her great book about how to work a room, there's a chapter called Seven Strategies, Jumpstart smooth stop for working an event, which I thought would be just great to review. The first one was your entrance, and you talk about arriving early. And I, and I, and I think that's such a great tip, because I, I do that when I do speaking engagements, especially if they're, you know, let's say an audience of 100 or less. I want to be there early and meet almost everybody as they come in, because I find that suddenly my connection to the people in the audience when I give my presentation is so much stronger. And that's a hint. That's what our friend Patricia Fripp and I do. There have been many times I've said, when I've been the luncheon speaker, uh, would you like me to be the door greeter? What? <laughs> and I, It's not, A, it's nice that they're welcomed, 
but B, you set the tone, and C, if you are ever giving a presentation, don't worry about all these people that say, well, I have to, your first four seconds when you give the presentation, you can lose them. If you talk to people before your talk, you don't have to worry about the first three words that come out of your mouth when you're on stage. They're already on your side because you're not a speaker. You're someone with whom they have spoken. And on top of which, getting there early, doing engaging in small talk, you might have learned something about some of them that those then become your, your first words because you're suddenly identifying and bringing them into the presentation. It, that's, and that's so important because we call that customizing because when you talk about someone of their group that's in the room or something you heard or learned, as a speaker, I often go, especially depending on if it's a three-day conference, I go in a day early and I hang out with them because mm-hmm. you get material. Exactly. Uh, and sometimes you get material that you um, have to use in a book, but you can't use their name because <laughs> of law. But the thing is, the idea of a grand entrance is ridiculous when 90% of us self-identify as shy and now we have 40% of people thinking that they're introverts. Walking in late is very hard. Walk in early and there's a reason for it. Um, I read the research. Shy people tend to come within 15 minutes of the time called because then they're in the room and the room walks past them. Mm-hmm. And that's easier. So yes. that's that would be... Um, the buddy system. Well, uh, one other point I, I like one to go to events. Well, I was going to bring up one other point in, in the first thing about the entrance. But again, something very practical, as you said, is position yourself between the entry and the food. Yeah. I thought that I thought that was genius. Again, if you're if you're a little bit shy and you're a little hesitant, you know, you're suddenly put yourself in the stream of where people are going. Great way to talk to people. And that was a hint given to me by one of our speaking colleagues who said to me, I'm very shy, but they, if they're hungry, they're going to say hello to me on the way to the food. <laughs> it, it may sound simple, but believe me, I think that's, that's bulletproof. And actually, I used it at a conference in San Francisco a couple months ago. Okay. <laughs> yes, I met several people I wanted to meet in line. All right, so the second one, the buddy system. The buddy system. Uh, two things. If you go to any event with someone, make sure nobody thinks that you're Velcroed together. I mean, you have to be able to separate a little, come back, check and see if you need to be rescued. But the beauty of the buddy system is that you get to introduce the other person and say things that they maybe not say about themselves and just make sure that the person is going to use the same um, upbeat tone of voice and words about you. I once did this where I made a deal with this woman. We both wanted to work for this company, and I said, ah, we can't promote ourselves. How about I introduce you, you introduce me? It was illuminating again because I thought, oh, my God, this would be what it would sound like if someone talked about me, a funeral dirge. <laughs> she had no enthusiasm. Now, here's the best part. Eight years later, I was speaking to a group, keynoting it an evening. I told the story without her name. She was in the audience. She came up to me and said, oh, that was a great story. She didn't even know that it was, it was about, about her. Because <laughs> people who are that obtuse don't know. But have a buddy, have a, some good, let's say, we're going to split here, but come back and check with each other. But talk to that buddy. How are we going to introduce each other? And then another thing, if someone forgets a name, your buddy could be a spouse, a friend, a colleague. 
They put out their hand, say their name, the other person says their name, then you know the name to repeat. That's right. a technique some people use. All right, so the next one you talked about was the white-knuckled drinker. Very often, that person that's really nervous and shy, you can see they're holding on to that glass, whether it has... Um, Water or beer, right? Yeah, or, you know, or, or a club soda in it. They are nervous. Walking into a room full of people is daunting. Look for the people standing alone. Look for that uncomfortable person. They would welcome your conversation. You could go to an event and just talk to people standing alone, and you'd meet some great people. You can't assume that they're snobs because they probably are more shy than you. Or you can't assume they don't have any value for you because they seem shy and are not engaging. Exactly. So I'm going to turn what you just said. I'm going to flip it around. You said value for you. So here's the assignment. I know a lot of people want to walk in, make the right contacts, leverage them, scale them up, and whatever, put them in a silo, if I've used enough buzzwords. Uh, this is another way to do this. Walk into every room and make your goal that you're going to make people comfortable with you. When you do that, you take the onus off yourself. And when you do that, you actually extend yourself more and you do meet more people. Mm-hmm. It's great advice. All right, so next one, and I, this was, you had a tip in here, which I thought was really fascinating, is name tags that pull. And you, yes. have, you have advice with regard to name tags that runs counter to everything you ever see, everything I've ever done, as eye-opening for me, is, think about it, audience, when you're coming to an event and you're writing your name on all those, you know, stick them, name tags, where do you put it? And I guarantee 99% of the people put it on the left, left side, side of the left side. And mm-hmm. you say the place to put it is? The right side. Here, here's what happens. Many of us are right-handed. We take the name tag. It's easier to put it on the left side. Left-handed people mirror us. They put it on the left side. And you guys have your pockets on the left side. So that's where you put your name tags. But the line of sight is that the handshaking right hand is on the right side. If you make it easy for people to say your name by putting your name tag on your right-hand side, A, you go up to someone, the name tag's in your line of sight. You could sneak a peek and never get caught, and they won't know you forgot their name. But the whole idea is, what are you doing to make it easy for people to connect with you? So line of sight, the right hand, and when if you have to fill out your own name tag, never fill it out in pen. Nobody could read it. It's too skinny. Always use a flare, a sharpie, make your name thick and big so that people can see you from across the room. Great advice. All right, the next one is great opening lines. You have an acronym, O-A-R, OR. So tell us about that. Bring your OR wherever you go. You know, a lot of people think of, oh, my God, I want to say the most brilliant thing, the great opening line. By the time they think of the great opening line, the person is at the other side of the room and they blew the opportunity. The OR pertains to conversation. Conversation is not asking a lot of questions. It's a trifecta. Observe, ask, reveal. The magic is in the mix. If you're only doing the observation, you're pretty much pontificating. If you're only asking questions, you're an interrogator. And if you're always revealing, you're going to say too much of the wrong thing. It's a mix. But what you do with opening lines is notice something on them. 
say something about the room. It's called the off-the-cuff impromptu. And if you say nothing, you'll miss the opportunity they will have walked by. So mm-hmm. maybe it's noticing a tie, a pin. Maybe someone looks familiar. Maybe you see on their name tag a company. Oh, you work for so-and-so. You know, my cousin works there. Or I've heard of that. Didn't I just read about you in the Wall Street Journal? Say something. But here's the other part. Smile. Make it easy so when someone walks in the room and sees you smiling, you become, and this is the magic word, approachable. Okay. Well, I love the advice about don't ask too many questions. And don't and, ask too many questions, please. Yeah. And the reveal, the last part, so if always observe, you just make an observation, you said your impromptu comment, you ask appropriate number of questions and not and have the balance. So you reveal something about yourself because it's this revealing something about yourself that that to me, in my experience, has always been the key to really opening the door to building that rapport with somebody is, is you've shown something of yourself. And so that really, to me, kicks off the no like trust equation at that point. Exactly. It's like people say they like people who are vulnerable. When people come in and everything's perfect and everything's fine, I'll be honest with you, I've listened to a lot of speakers and the ones who look perfect, that have the perfect hand gestures and the hair is perfect and the suit is perfect, nauseate me because there's such a standard. I don't believe it. I'd want the person that's down to earth that makes that casual comment who's a person to people rather than looking like a cardboard cutout. So the last one I want to talk about before we move on to the last segment of the show is is moving in, you know, joining into other conversations, a lot of other people come in. Oh, yes. I call that breaking and entering. Here's what you do. People have asked me in my presentations for years, oh, my gosh, it's so hard on me. I walk into a room. Everyone's already in a group. A, that means they got there too late. But here's what you do. When you want to get into a group, pick the most um, animated group. Make sure there's at least three people, four preferably, stand in the periphery. Someone looks your way or makes a comment. You step in. This is not the time to change to your agenda, what you have to sell. You are part of their conversation. You're invited in. Eventually, you segue. But I've had salespeople say to me, well, when can I change to my topic? No. (laughs) Never. Yeah, never. Yeah, so I mean, not, that's not the that. point, then. But what I want to give to our listeners is a hint. It's in the book. It's in all my talks. When you are in a group and in your peripheral vision, you can sense someone standing behind you or near you. Step back. You will have reset the circle. You will have included the person that's been excluded. And you will always be remembered because they will be very grateful. Good advice. And I think the thing I, another thing I like about the, the book, your update, is that you have specific strategies for various types of rooms now, too. So, you know, how to, how to work a plane and a train, uh, the techno toy room, the trade show, which is a very important one, or online. Or your own reunion. It could be the high school reunion, the college reunion, um, the, the day camp reunion. 
whatever it could be you know that's how 85 i think it's 85 broads all the people that women that used to work for goldman sachs mm-hmm. it was on broad street at 85 broad right. wasn't that 85 broads were members um the reunion of people used to work with you know the the arthur anderson people still have reunions so you know how do you work the reunion how do you work even it's a wedding even it's a um it's a trade show it's and i have to say i just traveled where I was on trains and planes, I met interesting people. But the reason I had these amazing experiences, as one friend pointed out, is I talked to people. People are approachable. But I'd like to give you one hint for our listeners. Here's how you get out of a conversation. You watch people's body language. You don't hog their time. You can extend your handshake because that also ends a conversation and say, oh, it was so great to talk to you about, or I was so informative to talk to you about, and then use one little phrase that summarizes what you talked about so they know you were listening. Do you have a card? May I offer you one of mine? And then you walk a quarter of the room away from the person over to another group or another person standing alone. Ethical exit, gracious exit. And as you say in the book, don't leave a group or leave that conversation and go sit down. <laughs> oh, oh, no. that's, that's the worst thing you can do. Cause then you're telling the person, yeah, I was just trying to escape from you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. Now, when I, I do this thing, when I do my talks and people get to meet three people and I have gone around and said, to people, what are you doing sitting down? And I can't tell you how many people say, well, I met my three people. That's not the point. <laughs> chairs yeah yeah there's no quota all right so we're gonna thank you for that and we're gonna give you a chance just a second to tell people to find out more about you but before we do that just got some standard questions i ask all my guests sure and the first one is when you're out selling your services what's your most powerful sales attribute conversation it really is my most powerful is that i go where with a smile and with stories and i connect with people and what I'm selling is, hey, hire me to speak for your group if their people are shy and not meeting the people they need to meet. But it's also listening to what people say their issues are. And you get that through conversation. I don't think people understand that listening to people, they'll tell you what you need to know. But if you're thinking about what's my next question or what I'm going to say next, instead of listening to what they're saying, you miss that information they're giving you. Exactly. You to sail on. Exactly. All right, next question. Who's your sales role model? Oh, actually, my mother. She was, my mother was in millinery. Mm-hmm. My mother could sell a hat to a cat. I mean, <laughs> and I don't mean to be a Dr. Seussical, but my mother was good. And I watched how she talked to people. I've never been in retail sales, but I've worked some, you know, volunteer things and paid attention Oh, this would look great. And I watched what she did. She really she really paid attention to the person in front of her and never tried to sell something that wasn't appropriate, tasteful. My other one was a friend of mine who was a librarian and ended up being director of sales. Not not an outgoing person, but she did her homework and she never sold people bells and whistles they didn't need because she knew they would, she would not get the next sale mm-hmm. if they presented it. So there was something very smart about that. Listen to people, be generous with them, be, be open with them, 
and make them feel comfortable. I think that whole thing is making people feel comfortable with you. I think that opens up sales in ways that um, all the technique and statistics don't. I agree, 100%. All right, next question is, is what's one book other than your own that every salesperson should read? Oh, without a doubt, Daniel Pink's book. To Sell as to Human. To Sell as Human. Okay, great. Daniel, Daniel endorsed this book and Face to Face, but uh, To Sell as Human, it's, we do that. You know what? When I was designing the career change workshops for teachers, I said to teachers, you're the best salespeople in the world. And they looked at me. I mean, we had these workshops like yeah, I was horrified. I said, really? We have to sell the periodic timetable. We have to sell all eight parts of speech. We have to sell how to do algebra. That's a tough sale. An easy sale is, hey, would you like to buy this fabulous car? Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Um, sorry, last question for it. It's a, little, it's a tough one. What, what music is on your playlist right now? Okay, you are going to be shocked, all of you. It's my, on my playlist, not only that, it is my ringtone. Don't you wish your girlfriend were hot like me? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, the Pussycat Dolls and I, my other phone had loosened up my buttons with, um, you know, it just was really, it was, when I have my phone ring. I have to tell you, people turn around and they go hear the music. They turn around and look at me and went, what? <laughs> well, I have to admit, I mean, that we've asked the question about 180 times, and that's the first time the Pussycat Gals have come up on it. So that's good. Excellent. Also, also I have Ravel's Bolero. I have Luciano Pavarotti. I have Pitbull. You know, You're my, romantic. Tastes, uh, my tastes are eclectic. But my, I really do love the Pussycat Dolls. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. All right. Well, I want to thank you, Susan, for being my guest today. Uh, so, Susan Oan, please tell people how they can find out more about you. Well, first of all, you can go to susanroane.com. If you can't remember that, howtoworkaroom.com. And all this information site. will be on our, our show notes page, so they can get it there, too. Perfect. The other thing is, if anything I said triggers a question that's a burning question that you think might be heartburn. Don't suffer. Don't take Tums. What you do is send me an email and we'll come up with a solution, an answer. And it's susan at susanroan.com. But there's another way to get in touch with me. And that is, of course, you could tweet me at Susan Roan or at How to Work Room. But the other way is if you got a burning question or if you say, we're going to hire you and pay you to speak to our group on How to Work Room, Write this down, 415-461-3915. Call me. You never call anymore. <laughs> Do I just sound like my mother? I'm yeah, so- it says you never call anymore. All right, well, fantastic. Thank you very much. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success the easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine, whether it's on your commute, in the gym, or make it a part of your morning sales meeting. Then you'll make sure you don't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Susan Roan, who shared her expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your sales by learning how to work the room. So thanks for joining us. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. 
If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.